Well, hello again. This is uh, one of these years, our Detroit Lions podcast. I'm Chris Burke, joined by Nick Baumgartner. Had uh, kind of a stilted schedule there for a couple weeks. Uh, we I recorded with uh, Max Boltman and James Edward III, our Wings and Pistons beat writers, respectively, uh, just sort of talking through the state of Detroit sports um, when it's Nick was good. off. Yeah, I think... Uh, <laughs> The Pistons may have won one or two since then. The Red Wings have right. not scored a power play goal since we recorded. That was two weeks ago. So <laughs> I saw that, yeah. <laughs> so that's not great. But yeah. uh, uh, back here now, um, as you mentioned, it's going to be a little more scattered over the offseason here as we just uh, try to figure out what the timetable is going to be. We don't even really know. We know when the new league year is starting, but we don't know like mm-hmm. what the – virtual programs going to look like anything for the NFL offseason yet so we'll uh, figure it out as we go but a couple things up this week on the site we'd invite you to go check out at theathletic.com we did a uh, our full Lions mock which uh, I guess technically is only a five-round mock um, you know we went all the way through all their picks and and right. we'll talk about that here in a minute and I broke down just tried to get into the numbers a little bit and kind of lay out where they're at with the salary cap because uh, <laughs> it's not good, Chris. <laughs> it is not good. That'll be. We'll get to that in a second. But let's. Uh, well, how time off? Uh, did you do anything fun? Well, you were. I know we just talked about this before we I took started a couple naps. There, but, yeah. I took a couple naps. That was good. That was good. But uh, that was well needed. I mean, we didn't. We can't go anywhere right now, obviously. But I mean, that was a crazy couple months there in Lions Land and everything else. So. It's good to get uh, good to get away from it for a second there for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I caught up on uh, just some random movies here and there. And, yeah, yeah right. just sort of spaced out for a few <laughs> yeah, days. So that's right. good. Stared at the wall for a couple yeah. hours. <laughs> just calmed uh, down. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, so anyway, we came back with our as you mentioned our our mock our five round mock uh, last time through we kind of presented a bunch of different scenarios included some trade downs things like that. This time we just picked straight through because they have right. six selections now. Um, you know, the pick at number seven, uh, pick at number 41, and then a couple of third rounders, one in the fourth, one in the fifth. Uh, and we went a different way with that mm-hmm. first pick, <laughs> Panay Sewell, yeah. uh, the offensive tackle from Oregon, which uh, people kind of a mixed bag of reactions yeah. to it, but I, right. I don't know. Let's just discuss that a little bit here. It's very interesting because, you know, number one, we have to preface this with, like, I don't know if he'll be available. I mean, he's such a talented prospect and, and everything right. else. Uh, he very well could be gone. I mean, shoot, the Jets could take him. I mean, you know, that's not off the table, I don't think, at all. They just took Becton, but, I mean, you know, they could just invest in two tackles and keep Darnold, and, and away you go. So he might not fall, but, you know, when we go through these, I mean, sometimes when you run through them, you see him sitting there and you're just like, well, you know, like, what would this look like? And it really does change the whole board because as we sort of established in some of the other earlier mocks we did uh, and just kind of talking through this, you know, the value for tackles is still there in round two. It's still there in round three, really. I mean, you can still, I, I don't know how much longer I would wait maybe beyond the fourth, but there's some pretty nice prospects that'll probably be there especially in the second round especially if they can add you know more picks but you know Penny Sewell is possibly a generational you know football player I mean he's a guy that could play guard if he needed him to my big question I guess is whether or not he could play right tackle and I, I would assume that that's probably on the table but you know for the Lions specifically he just invested in Taylor Decker and you're not going to want you know, he's not going to be able to play right tackle. He's a left tackle, I think, in the NFL. I think Sewell would be the guy that you'd move. So there's a lot of questions with it. 
But at the same time, if this is a situation where it's you're taking best available, um, and if he's still you know sitting there at seven, uh, he's probably the best available. But the question would become, you know, can you address something else at a premium spot there instead, and still get a pretty good player, you know, down the road? I was torn on it even when we were doing it. I mean, we were doing it and kind of going through it, and I was just like, man, I don't know now. <laughs> I was yeah. like, he's a really talented athlete and everything else, and. I still think he's got a little bit to prove, um, you know, on the field because his sample size is kind of small. He's so young. But, you know, it, it was definitely interesting because it changed the whole complexion of the draft. I mean, every time we've done it up until now, uh, you know, we've went in another direction. And knowing that you'd have, you know, a landing spot with tackle, you know, even in the third or fourth round. So it was definitely interesting, but it's certainly something that's uh, worth monitoring, I think, going forward here. Yeah, well... It- the challenge of scouting these guys too, like you mentioned, is tough. And we Trey Lance is kind of the the great example because they played right. the one like random pointless game this year where he didn't look great, and you're like, well, of course not. And, you know, it yeah, was just right. sort of thrown in the middle of the of the schedule. Right, exactly. And, yeah. and Sewell, you know, I was uh, watching some of his stuff, and you know, there was a game against Auburn where. Uh, he looked pretty good at times, and then he had some moments in pass rush where it didn't look great. And it's like, well, you know, that's a little clunky. And then that's August 31st of 2019. Right, <laughs> like, exactly. oh, God, yeah. all right. Well, does this even <laughs> hold up anymore? He didn't play in 2020. So, you, mm-hmm. you know, you're assuming guys who sat out this year or, like, Lance had one game have gotten stronger and more, faster or whatever, you know, have continued to sort of hone their craft over the past year. But – I don't know. Maybe Benet Sewell yeah. sat there and watched Netflix like I did last week. <laughs> yeah, so, right. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's definitely some projection. It's going to be really difficult to kind of pin down these guys. And I don't think we really know how teams are going to react to not having 2020 tape on a bunch right. of guys. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it does change the complexion. And uh, like you mentioned, it, it's it's you don't want to say, well, we'll just get a guy the next round at this position because, it right. can, you know, you t- kind of – you're kind of tempting fate at that point, but just looking ahead to what our round two picks were then, mm-hmm. or pick was then, um, and the board at that point, we used the Draft Network um, mock simulator, yeah. um, and it was you know Liam Eikenberg, Alex Leatherwood, uh, Dylan Raddins from North Dakota State, and then like Creed Humphrey, Wyatt mm-hmm. Davis were still there. <laughs> like yep. if you want a guard, yeah, you can go get a guard who can start for you immediately. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that that's a really uh, you. I don't know that you have to take an offensive lineman because I think you could look at this roster now and say, all right, we th- we have a starting five. We can piece together a starting five. But there's some guys there that right. you know you almost would hate to miss out. And it's sort of the same conversation that we had with the wide receivers as we got into round three. Like there's These are position groups that you want to take advantage of the top-heavy talent here because there's so much of it. Exactly, and that's the, that's the thing to remember. And this is a solid tackle draft in general. And then when you look at the Lions – you know, overall situation and you look at it from, you know, the time frame in mind that we need to keep in mind here that this is a build, you know, that's going to stretch over a couple of years. It's important to note again, you know, and we say this all the time and I always think I say this because I'm an offensive line homer, but whatever. I mean, they are, <laughs> you know, you're going to, Frank Ragnow was probably the second or third best center in the league last year, um, maybe second best behind Lindsley and um, in Green Bay. He's 25. Uh, he's going to be a guy that they're going to invest in long term, and he's a future star. I mean, if, if health cooperates, Decker had his best year in football last year. 
You just re-signed him. He's all in for whatever you're doing. We both really like Jonah Jackson. They are so close right now to if you can add one more really good tackle to that, a right tackle, uh, you know, you're exactly where you want to be in a situation where the next couple of years you're you're got you've got Anthony Lynn, your run game is gonna be the main event kind of thing here. You gotta look for something to lean on, and that's why you look at that and you say you're one piece away, I think, realistically, you're one right tackle away. You can fit whatever at guard, at that opposite guard there and probably and survive, but you're one really good right tackle prospect away from having what I would think would be one of the best offensive lines in, in the NFL, or at least one of the best young ones. And so that is the tempting thing here with something like Sewell up there if he's available, but at the same time, like we've said, Alex Leatherwood you know, is a, is a fringe first-round pick who, who could be there in the early second. I mean, he's a really good prospect too. I mean, I think he's going to be a very good player um, you know, you go down like Jackson Carmen, the kid from Clemson's a big, you know, thumper who I think is going to be a really nice player in time. Uh, you know, he's a second or third round guy too. So, I mean, like there's guys as you go through this that I think you can take and wait on, but you know, man, like the, the tempting part there to just have possibly three premium offensive linemen, two tackles that you really like in a center. Whew. Like that's, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good place to start yeah. from, you know, I mean, when you're building something and that's, you know, Sewell is such an athlete. Like that's he could play guard, he could play right. I think he play right or left tackle. I think he play either guard spot. I mean, he's he moves so well in space. Ragnow moves really well in space. Like you know, your run game just takes off. You know, with a, not just with a guy like Swift or if you add another back in there, but you if you've got athletic offensive linemen who can move, you can do a lot of stuff. And and like you said, Chris, I mean. If you're going to have a premium pickup there at the top, you know, right now for the Lions, I, I would think it would need to be invested in either speed, a tackle, or you know, if you're if you're going to move down, maybe something defensively. But you know, this offensively, speed and another offensive lineman would be the two things that I would look at if you're not in love with the quarterback, I guess, which is another layered add on this whole thing here too. <laughs> yeah, well, I, like you mentioned too, I mean, it's not just Swift that you're building for here. We keep talking yeah. about them needing to add. You know, we took Elijah Moore, and again, you know, I don't know that he's going to be there in round three. I keep seeing him show up in round right. one of mock drafts now. So, but again, we're just sort of following the board that we had in front of us. Um, but we talked about, you know, Rondale Moore or yeah. uh, Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan, yep. or you know, some of those guys. Uh, like those are guys that you're if you're going to throw throw to them uh, on screens and stuff, you want to get your offensive line out in front of that too. So mm-hmm. you want some guys that can get out. Rashawn Slater's another offensive line that's going to get picked high. Like, yep. it, it, there's certainly an argument to be made for going and getting someone up there. And, you know, part of it is that uh, Anthony Lynn said, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Anthony Lynn said, uh, you know, he really likes the pieces up front. He thinks they need some more depth at tackle, which kind right. of reading between the lines, you know, not to get ahead of us into the contract stuff, but – I, I sort of read that as that, you know, Vitae is going to be a guard moving forward, probably. Yeah, They're kind of yeah. stuck with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Crosby's only got one year left. I, I know people like Crosby. I don't really see him as a, like, mm, yeah. foundational anchor at right tackle. Right. Like, I think he's great, the role he's been playing. It's like that swing guy for you. Right. Um, so it makes a lot of sense if that's where you're going to build, if you want to win in the trenches. I don't think it would surprise anyone if Dan Campbell went in there and said, oh, we God, need to yeah. just hammer people inside. Right. Uh, so I think that does make sense. But, you know, uh, just to run through the top six picks, again, you can ha- check out this whole lock on uh, theathletic.com. But it was Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, Jalen Waddell, 
and then Justin Fields. So all offense, one through six. I don't know that Sewell will get through to seven, but that's also not outlandish that it no, goes like that right. with three quarterbacks up high. Chase is great. Waddle's great. Kyle Pitts is just an extremely unique offensive weapon. So I don't think it's impossible that there's a, a tackle there sitting at seven. But that also, as we talked about a little bit in the post, uh, like if you're sitting there at seven and you have both, you know, Sewell and Slater, you have Devontae Smith still there, mm-hmm. uh, Trey Lance, Parsons, all the cornerbacks. If you can get out of there yeah, and go down yeah. five, six, seven picks, get another day two pick, get another first rounder for sure. Like, I mean, you almost have to do that, right? Oh yes, that like that's that's number one, and we and we preface that in this one. Like for this exercise, we just went straight through, but the trade here again is still absolutely has to be at top of mind, and I'm sure it is. But I mean, the thing to point out here though is like there's a couple different options I mean that you could possibly go with I mean Carolina certainly needs a quarterback San Francisco you would think I would think New England would be interested as well Washington I mean there's no shortage of teams that if somebody falls in love with Trey Lance or if Justin Fields starts to slide you know and we did that in a scenario a couple weeks ago where it was and you could just see I mean the Washington one was sort of my favorite when we did it at the time because I think I added an extra third in there instead of something in the future and it just mm-hmm. was ridiculous I and mean, we you got there with like six guys who you know in the top i think it was like five or six in the top 100 or something like that i mean you're looking at five or six starters you know that you're possibly adding so for a team that needs literally everything you know you could even move down to 12 or 15 or 17 and you know get an edge rusher you know maybe maybe uh michael parsons is still available at 12 or 15 or something like that um if you wanted to address defense early and then go into everything else beyond that, I mean, it's there's a lot there that seems like it would be more beneficial. I, and that's, I guess that's the big one, right? Where it's like if you're sitting there and the board goes a different way and Sewell gets taken earlier and all the quarterbacks are gone and it's, you know, Jalen Waddell or Devonta Smith, which absolutely that's what it could be. I mean, is it worth picking between one of those two guys who are both outstanding players or would it be worth moving back, still getting a really good player, and adding, you know, probably another starter? I mean, in that case, I would say moving back is certainly the preferred move. I mean, as much as you know, I know I know we both love Waddle and Smith, really. Um, but you know, as as beneficial as that would be, I just think the extra stuff that you'd get in return would just be so much more worth it because I don't think that the, I don't think you're losing too much value from seven to. 15 and really even 7 to 17. I still think you can get a really good player in any stretch in there uh, if you move back. Yeah, I mean, we also can't close the door on the Lions taking a quarterback this year. I mean, I feel like we've sort of moved on to some extent at this point, but, you know, I don't. I I think one thing that's been interesting, and this is probably better, it's definitely better for the Lions if they're thinking about trading out, is for whatever reason, and I know we're still two months out for the draft, this stuff happens all the time and you, you, Mm -hmm. you forget about it in a week, but. For whatever reason, Mac Jones is suddenly showing up in top 10 of mock drafts. <laughs> Pro Football Focus had him in the top 10 ahead of Trey Lance. Mel Kuyper just put him in the top 10 ahead of Trey Lance. Uh, and yeah, uh, that's I, if you're the Lions, you're hoping that keeps up because you want teams to just panic that there's going to be quarterback runs immediately. Yes. 
and not sitting there thinking, you know, New England sitting there at 15 thinking, well, we can get Mac Jones or Washington at 19 thinking, well, one of these guys will be there. You want everyone to be freaking out at pick through by pick three. <laughs> the quarterbacks are going to be gone. And so, um, again, I don't know. It's just sort of the nature of the draft beast that this stuff goes in cycles like this. But for whatever reason, Mac Jones is the name of the moment. Uh, and so you kind of hope, you know, the Lions have to be hoping that that keeps up for the next two months because then you have more options to go back. And if you're not taking a quarterback, uh, go back and stockpile some picks. And teams tend to pay more of a premium when they are trading up for a quarterback too. Right. So that helps you. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of different ways that they could go, as we've been saying every time we do one of these things. I think that that's both the good and bad of it. The bad is that you look at the roster and they need help everywhere. But the right. good is that everything's on the table for you, uh, which I think if you're if you're leaning into a rebuild, you're bringing in a new GM, you're bringing in a new coach, I would think they'd want to be at a point where they can just say, all right, that this is the whole board is open. Let's figure out where to go. Right. I mean, the goal right now, I mean, as it sits today without making any moves, you know, they have five picks in the top 103, right? So basically five top 100 picks. The goal here needs to be to find five starters in, you know what I mean? Five guys who can come in and either start right away or contribute right away in some reasonable form or fashion and right away being within a year or two, uh, Anywhere. I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, there's certain situations or certain positions that you need more help, you know, defensive tackle, these types of things uh, that you need more help than others, linebacker. But really, the goal has to be is, is you, that's how you have to look at it at this point. It, it can't just be position of need or whatever. It's It's got to be bulk, I think, and it's got to be premium bulk. You've got to be able to invest in this, especially in the top 90. Um, if you can get another, you know, that's why it's so big. If you can get another second or another third, uh, you know, that's another spot right there, Thursday or Friday, where you're looking at adding starters. And, you know, that, that's got to be the thing right now is what can you do to get the most, you know, the most out of this this year and next year? I mean, you've still got what you get got from the Stafford deal coming back, you know, down the road as well. But, like, you're looking at this as basically two to three drafts, I would think, in, in total and trying to overhaul your team completely. And you really – those top three rounds – like you just can't miss, and I think that that's why they've obviously hired Brad Holmes. But I mean, the the good thing, like you said, Chris, is that there's so many things you could do, and that's why I think there's a lot of mystery right now with the Lions. I think that I've seen that you know talked about in several circles that not a lot of people know exactly where the Lions are leaning right now. It's kind of hard to totally get a read on what Brad Holmes is going to do because you know, number one, he hasn't <laughs> he came from a place that hasn't had a first rounder in quite a while. Um, you know, he's been known for, you know, grinding out these, you know, quality picks in mid-rounds. Maybe he waits. I don't know. So we don't know exactly what they're going to do. And I think that mystery serves them pretty well. Um, unlike last year where, you know, it became pretty <laughs> obvious that they weren't going to yeah. take a quarterback, despite a lot of people trying to do that work for them and be like, maybe they should yeah. take two. And they were like, no, we're not trading Stafford. So, right. they, you know, when they did that, you go back and you say that was right around the combine. When they came out and said, we're not doing anything with Stafford, and it was like, okay, well, you're not trading your pick. I mean, you're going to have to sit there and take Okuda. I mean, that's just what you're going to do. Everybody knows it. This is not that. This is completely different, uh, at least right now. And like you said, if you know, the more the merrier on these quarterbacks moving up, if somebody wants to keep floating Mac Jones at 10, that seems like a stretch to me. I, I don't think Mac Jones is a top 10 draft pick, but you know what? If somebody else does, then hey, you let you let it ride. And I think that if you're if you're Lions, obviously, you just let that thing... 
Let that thing brew as long as it can. Let people just get desperate and see what happens. But I would also caution this. Like, who's to say that the Jets or the, you know, don't move down and say, like, we're not taking a quarterback? Uh, we don't know. So there's some other mystery there, too. I mean, there's other there's other situations uh, in the top seven that could also involve trades. So you don't want to be too loosey-goosey with it, I guess. You want to be somewhat aggressive. But seems like they're in a good spot. I mean, I, I, I don't think anything's changed, certainly, that, uh, that would change that. Yeah, I mean, just <clears throat> looking at the class that we came out and again no trades we took sewell at seven um i thought we did a pretty good job yeah, i mean yeah. davian nixon jabril cox you get two guys on defense that can step in and start elijah moore can be your starting slot and be a mm-hmm. very explosive playmaker and then uh you know cameron sample i think is at least a rotational guy on the edge tyree gillespie is someone who can be in there at least in sub packages yeah. early on and again you know this is we're, we're trying not to tweak the board too much as we're going through this to where we think people are, are going to go, especially this year. We don't want to yeah, say, right. well, there's no way that guy's going to go there because I we have no idea. People can't scout. <laughs> you know, There's no uh, – we had guys sitting out. So, But I think it was a little friendly. The board fell kind of a friendly way to have Cox there in the third, certainly to have Elijah Moore there mm-hmm. midway through the third. Like that. I don't know that he's going to be there. But, um, you know, we came out of it with at least – four guys that you would consider starters and yeah. probably six guys that would be playing uh in week one and so again yeah that's got to be the goal there um I, I don't know i mean if you're sitting at seven like do you have to narrow your focus to quote unquote you know premium positions like do you have to take a tackle a wide receiver or I don't know what do you even throw yeah. in that category an edge a quarterback like right. I don't like do you have to take one of those premium spots or can you just can you take Micah Parsons there like that's I think that's one of the arguments against Micah Parsons at seven is that to take an off ball linebacker in the top 10 he has to be he's got to be one of those guys you know he's got to be yeah. Luke Keekley. he's got to be someone that you're just building the entire defense around um and I think that that is one of the challenges with him is you got to figure out if he can be that guy. But do you need to focus on, all right, it's got to be this position or this position if we're staying in the top 10? I don't I don't think so. I think that, you know, and Parsons is such a great, um, you know, case in that because he is athletically, uh, you know, you would, you would look at him and say that he is one of those guys. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, I remember his recruitment. Um, you know, Micah Parsons was like... <laughs> Uh, I think he was like a receiver, a quarterback, a running back. Probably drove the bus. <laughs> yeah. Like, and and when he was when he was being recruited by all these schools, they were like, we no one knew what he was going to play because it was like he could be a defensive end, he could play on offense, he could play linebacker, and he picks Penn State and they put him, you know, at off ball linebacker, and and that was, I believe, the first time he's really ever done that. So right. the question there is, you know, you've only really got, I think, two years of Michael Parsons playing high level football as an off ball linebacker, and, and there were some, you know, pretty special moments. And he didn't plays. play this year. <laughs> right, and he sat out this year. So there were, there were some, certainly some, you know, whoa moments that he had in those two years. But there were also, you know, some moments where he looked like a guy that had never really played the position for. So, you know, is a guy like that, is he a no-doubter? I think you can take him at seven if you're convinced that, yes, he is absolutely going to be one of these guys. But the, the, the issue there is... You know, there's some mystery with that. And, you know, as great an athlete as he is, and he's, I mean, he is the best, you know, defensive athlete on the board, I think. I don't think anybody's arguing with that. But I think the reason why you see him slipping a little bit is because there is a little bit of that, like, we really don't 
totally know for sure uh, if he's, you know, top five, top seven, top ten, whatever, you know, is there going to be a hiccup here? Is he not going to be ready? Is this going to be a thing where we got to wait like two years for him to gather himself? Do we want to go down that road with him? I don't know. So, you know, that's the one thing, I guess, where, you know, if you move down and you could you could plan to do a guy like that, you'd probably be getting a top five talent, um, you know, at a lower level because people might have questions. So I don't think you have to just, you know, focus on you. you got to take it, like you said, got to take a tackle, got to take a quarterback or a, or a receiver there. But the way the board falls, I mean, it just sort of happens that, you know, the three of the best players in the top 10 are receivers. And, you know, you've got Sewell sitting there too. So, and you need everything. And, you know, that's one thing. I mean, you, it, it's impossible for us to sit here and say that, you know, Devonta Smith or Waddle couldn't help them immediately. They absolutely could. Um, so, I think that's sort of how it falls, but at the same time, they just need so much that uh, you know you don't really have to be picky. You can just kind of do whatever you want. I don't, you know, I wouldn't take a tight end. I, I don't think you know that's the thing with Pitts. I don't <laughs> know if Pitts, I would do yeah. that. Uh, and the corner, I don't, you know, I don't know about that one either. I don't know if if they be, would be too keen on that either. But uh, some good corners there too, so yeah, it's possible. Yeah, Pitts. Pitts intrigues me just because of the type of weapon. He's such a good he is. player. Yeah. Yeah, like if you're. Like if you're approaching him as that he's in the same class as like if you're approaching him like he's right there with Waddle and Smith and Chase as the top pass catchers in this class, right? I think maybe you could make a case for it. if you just don't even pretend that he's a tight end mm-hmm. and just say we're yeah. gonna draft him as a wide receiver or slot guy or whatever. Um, maybe you can make a case, but yeah, I I would agree. I think that might be um, overkill there. I mean the one. I did want to get into the the cap stuff, but one more thing that I wanted to mention because it jumped out to me is that just I don't know, you know. Again, you can't sit and say uh, let's wait around. I don't know that you can go into free agency and say, well, we we don't need to address this position. We'll deal with it at the draft. But just looking at sort of where the value looks like it's going to be, I don't know where they're getting edge help that's really yeah. impactful. Um, maybe if you trade down in round one, you get into more of a range. I don't think there's a top 10 edge no. in this class. And then again, you know, I put our, you know, what the board, the top 10 available uh, looked like at each pick as we went down this mock. There wasn't, uh, at least according to the Draft Network's rankings, there wasn't uh, an edge there when we picked in round two. Carlos Basham, I think, was just off that board, um, who's a good player. I don't know that you'd take him at, at 41. Maybe you would, but he, you know. He, he wasn't on our top 10 available there. And then as you got into round three, there were some uh, some of the senior bowl guys, like Peyton Turner Peyton was Turner. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jordan Smith from UAB, who had a good senior bowl week. I think Quincy Roche was in there once or twice. So, mm-hmm. uh, But it's not a year where you're getting – you're sitting there in the top 10 and saying, all right, well, we're getting that that edge guy who's going to get us 12 sacks. Like there's, it's just not – right. Maybe you could talk yourself into Gregory Rousseau from Miami or Quiddy Pay, but I, I don't know that I see the value of those guys over what else would be on the board at seven. And so that's one of those positions where I kind of work backwards and say, well, maybe do they need to prioritize Romeo Okora here? Because yeah. there's nothing yeah, else that's going to be available at the draft or there's not going to be like me might get a Cameron sample. That'd be I, I mean, something like that would be nice, but I don't know that he's a guy that you're, you'd be drafting around four and saying, all right, he's going to be our starter. He's going to be out there every third down. He's going to be a pro bowler. Um, so yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if you can work backwards like that. You could. Yeah. Like I think if you move down to 15 or 17, you could take, 
you know, I think one of Rousseau or Pay is reasonably going to be there, uh, it seems. I mean, I've, we've seen some crazy stuff. I mean, I think Rousseau was – a lot of people had him mocked in the top 10 when all this started, and that slowly, you know, he he started to yeah. slip down those the boards. The Georgia then, kid's been climbing a little bit. Too, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. We saw some Quiddy Pay mocks back in, like, the <laughs> – early, early stages where he was like a top five pick. And I was like, I don't know about all that. But, you know, I think uh, the teens uh, would be a place where if you wanted to address that. But again, you know, I mean, I don't know if those guys are no doubters either. So like you said, I mean, that's a great point. I, I, I think that, you know, in this case, that just might be one where if it's not somebody that you're totally in love with, then you just sort of wait and maybe you take a guy, you know, three, you know, third or fourth that you think can help or think can maybe grow into something. But, um, yeah, I don't think Quara thing, the Galladay thing, all the cap stuff. I know we're going to get that too. There's a lot of questions here, uh, about how this is all going to look. And, uh, you wrote about this today. Um, you know, I don't think the average fan is quite totally up to speed on how dire this sort of looks, (laughs) uh, as it sits today, but it is, uh, it is problematic. Um, you know they're going to have to play a lot of young players next year. Yeah. Um, they're going to have to play a lot, uh, play a lot of guys who probably aren't going to be here long term because they've got some stuff they got to get out of, and they've got some stuff, Chris, that they've got to restructure as well. So, where do you want to start with this one? Because this is an <laughs> interesting conversation. Yeah, well, I, and I tweeted out, I wrote about it too when I talked to Dan Campbell. Um, had just an opportunity to chat with him one on one, and he said something like. You know, he talked about the coaching staff and said, you know, maybe we might end up starting three or four undrafted guys. And it sounded yeah. like he was just sort of on one of his rants, you know, where he's just <laughs> going. But then you go back and look and you're like, well, you know, yeah. I, I, they might. <laughs> I yeah. think that that's I think they have a realistic understanding of what this roster is and where it needs to go and what the challenges are going to be. Because anytime you have a regime change, there's going to be a period where the new regime is just knocking off guys that don't fit the new scheme or don't fit the new culture or whatever. It just happens every time there's one of these changes. And in the Lions case, you just happen to have a bunch of guys on that list who are making like $15 million a season. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I mean, they're in a tight spot. You kind of cross your fingers that the cap will go up a little bit. The NFL set the floor for the salary cap at, at, uh, 180 million might creep up closer to 185 million but that's you know that's like one contract um so you're not getting a ton of relief there and so as you're looking at it yeah this this post is up you know you add in you take the 180 million add in their carryover from last year uh and they have a baseline of 192.8 million to work with and they're sitting there once the golf trade goes through uh at like 207 million (laughs) and then you add in Kenny Galladay uh you know you're you're talking about being like 30 million dollars over the cap uh if you're franchise tagging Galladay so there's a lot of work that they need to do and I, I don't know even if you start taking away all the guys who you need to get rid of Trufant Justin Coleman um, mm-hmm. who I assume would be a, a post-June one cut, you know, Nick Williams, you're still not going to have a ton of cap space and you've got to find someone to fill those positions. I mean, we're talking about guys yeah. who, at least in theory, were starters for this team last year. So I don't know. I, I don't know. Is there anything to feel good about if you're looking oh, at this? The cap is tough. I mean, I don't know. This is 
this is a problem, and this is the thing I think we all knew that it would be an issue with um, with Goff, and it's a problem only in that it's just a hard, it's going to be a hard thing to get through. I think if you're doing this knowing that you're not going to be very good, probably, uh, then it's maybe a little more easily you know easily digestible. But it it really does take away. I mean, your their their situation right now, they can't realistically compete for any you know, free agent of, of note, including, you know, I don't know what you're supposed to do with Okwara. I don't know what you're supposed to do with Galladay. I mean, like the Galladay thing, you know, I mean, and, and you you broke down sort of a hypothetical that could certainly, could work, right, with, with his, if you wanted to redo it. I think you can certainly redo it, but it's got to be, you know, it's got to work. You know, you don't have a lot of wiggle room, I guess. If he wants more, you know, one dollar more than you can really do, you can't do it. Yeah, the right. last, the last thing you can do with Galladay is just franchise tag him and let him play on that. That I don't see any way that that's going to work out. Um, you know, and then you're looking at, you know, if you tag him and you trade him, I think that that seems like to me that seems like the most beneficial thing right now. Um, and then you go down and you say, well, the golf contract probably has to be restructured. I would think, and the only other options for restructures, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, if you want to do that, do you want to restructure Vitae? Do you, you know, Flowers' deal is pretty, pretty difficult. That thing's a mess. You Flowers' know, deal to, is yeah. a disaster. <laughs> so you know, I, I, Goff's situation could certainly give you more relief, and I, I'm not sure though if you want to do that because I think if you get too far down the road, you start kicking the can, then all of a sudden you're dead money. In 2022, goes I believe it would you know you're you're messing with that so you're out on him maybe isn't as clean but I just don't know what you do otherwise I don't, I mean you got to do something just to get yourself under right now so you can kind of move out of this and really what it is is it's just a reflection on how ridiculous this thing got you know under <laughs> Quinn and I I don't know how else to look at it I mean what what were they gonna do otherwise I mean like this was this was gonna be a situation no matter what I guess at some point so. Yeah, there's probably a way out of it. There's there's things you can do. There's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of guys on this roster. We've talked about that, you know, for the last couple of months. Trufant, Coleman, Nick Williams, guys like this, um, you know, Jesse James, where you can get some relief, but it's it still doesn't feel like it's going to be enough, and it feels like you're going to be right on the line, and you're just not going to be able to do much in, in free agency this year. Uh, but I don't think that's a bad thing either, necessarily, right? I don't think that's a, that's a deal breaker sure. or a killer. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to do that either, so... I don't know. I don't know where you start. I mean, that's all these questions come up, and it sort of further complicates things down the road for you. But you got to start somewhere for sure. Yeah, and the, like the flowers thing, I just hypothetically gave him a full restructure, which took him down to the veteran minimum in base mm-hmm. salary for this year. Turned his signing bonus into you know it, it puts his signing bonus for the next three years at over ten million dollars. So to you know next year his yeah. dead cap then would be fifteen million. The year after that it'd be something like ten million. So you'd be committing to him, committing to him or committing to just kicking the can down the road yeah. on a cap hit um, for two or three seasons. And same thing with Vitae. You know I mentioned on Twitter that the, a Vitae restructure might make some sense because he's one of the few guys that has a high base salary and not a ton in signing bonus. That's kind of what you're looking for if you're right. doing these restructures but again if you take him down from a nine million dollar base salary to i had him from nine to one million so you get uh six million dollars in cap relief this year which is a a big number Uh um but then you'd be tacking on you know an extra two million for the next three seasons so in theory you know next year to get rid of him the dead money then would go from 4.2 million to 
to 10.2 million. And right. so now you're talking about having Vitae here for two years. And, and so it's kind of tough. And I think that that's what scared people in thinking about the golf restructure potential, because there's really no way to do this. You can't restructure. I mean, his contract runs through 2024. If you restructure it, you know, as is, you're probably committed to him for two seasons. If you yeah. restructure, you might be committing to him through for at least three seasons. But I, I just don't know that there's an alternative given where their cap situation is at. Because his base salary for this year is over $25 million. He doesn't have any guarantee. He doesn't have any signing bonus money guaranteed by the Lions because that's all picked up by the Rams. The Lions owe him. Um, like, you know, that base salary I think is guaranteed. And then there's a roster bonus for 15 and a half million next year. That's guaranteed. Like most of his 2022 contract is guaranteed, but you can get that number down from that cap number down quite a bit by restructuring. And I think that, you know, just the hypothetical I pitched freed up, I think it was 15 million this year, which that's huge. That's your, almost your Galladay contract franchise tag basically. So I don't know. I mean, I I think that's where you got to start. You got to look at that golf contract and see what you can do there, even if it means, you know, committing money to them through 2023, 2024. Yeah, I don't know what else you're supposed to do, really. That one has to be done, uh, I would think. You know, I. That's the tough one, right? Because if you you take a quarterback this year, you take a quarterback next year, whatever it is, and you want to sit him and, you know, let him wait. You know, if you took one next year, I suppose maybe they'd be a little more palatable. Um, if you took one this year, you know that that's going to get tougher because I, I just, like you said, I don't know if you have an option to get out of not restructuring this. Is you know the as it sits right now, if you didn't do anything, you could get out of a deal with golf for pretty little pain in two years, and it wouldn't be a big deal. But you know, I just don't know how you even survive this year if you if you don't find a way to back off on that. So. I don't know. I mean, it's. I have to think that they're not just looking at Jared Goff as, or they wouldn't have done this, right? I mean, when you look at this, I don't think that Brad Holmes is looking at Jared Goff as he's just going to be here for two years until we can get you know rookie X ready, and then we're getting rid of him. I, I would think that you know that's probably on the table, but I would also. I mean, he drafted and scouted Jared Goff, so I would think that he thinks that there's still more in the tank here and that, you know, if they have to commit to him for three years, four would be tough. But if you have to commit to him for three years, I, I would think that he'd be willing to stomach that maybe more than the average fan or the average I would. And, you know, I don't know if I would, I think that would be a little risky. Uh, I don't know if we can call that a slam dunk, but I also think that the situation is what it is. And there's, you know, you had to move Stafford. You got a lot back for him. This is kind of, this is a tough spot. I don't, I don't know you know, what else you do with it? I mean, you're just going to have to do something to move forward on it. It's just a matter of, you know, can you settle him down? Can you get him back into a really good, you know, headspace? If he comes out in 2021 and has a pretty good year, maybe you're not feeling as bad about that, you know, over the next couple, you know, considering that, you know, you're not locked to him for 10 years, you're only locked to him for a couple. So, you know, one more year on there, maybe not the worst thing in the world, maybe not ideal, but nothing about this is ideal, I think is the point. And you've got to have room to do something else. And that's, you know, that's the other part, you know, you mentioned Galladay. I mean, you know, the best option seems to be tagging and trading him, but I mean, beyond that, the second best option is, you know, as it sits right now, if he didn't do anything else, the second best option is probably just to let him walk and get the comp pick. I mean, based on the cap situation. And I don't even know if that's what you want to do because he's, he's a number one receiver, everything else. So, 
It's tough, but I mean, there's really no other option here. That that one has to be done. I would consider Flowers as difficult as it is because I, I think you could be more, you know, okay with committing to him for these next yeah. couple of years. Mm-hmm. I don't think you, anybody would have too much of a problem with that. So um, the contract is what it is. It's too high, obviously, but, you know, there's nothing you can do about it now. So, you know, I think that <laughs> Goff and Flowers' right. deal right. are probably the ones that have to be looked at. Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, I think the Flowers one too. Like, I don't know that they would consider moving him. I don't know that a team would take on a $16 million base salary down the line. Yeah, but I don't know. if he has a big year this year, um, you know, maybe that makes sense for it. To, I, the other thing with the golf contract is, you know, his cap number for next year right now is a little north of $26 million. It's under $26 million in 2023. So even if you tack on the way I did, you know, an extra $5 million, Mm-hmm. Uh, per year, you're around thirty million. You're getting up there for for Jared Goff, but at his current level, you're not really getting a starter for much less than twenty five million dollars a year. Yes. I mean, Tom Brady is there because he's Tom Brady, and like Philip Rivers signed for that at age forty before he retired. But mm-hmm. the Panthers gave Teddy Bridgewater uh, twenty one million per over three years. And a year into that, they want out. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. about the bottom of the barrel. Unless you're, uh, unless you're taking, adding a rookie contract. Like if you have a rookie contract, you can, you're, you're getting a guy for whatever, 8 million a year, but otherwise you, this is kind of the going rate. And if you want an elite quarterback, you're talking about going up into the, you know, right. $30 million range. And that's what Goff's, the original terms on Goff's contract were $35.5 million per year. So the Lions are getting him for, you know, $8 million less than that, which if it works, it, it starts to look kind of brilliant. But yeah, I mean, I think that they're, I think there's enough benefit in what you'd get back by restructuring this year to mm-hmm. not worry so much about the future. I mean, I think he's here for, for two years pretty much regardless, even if you right. draft a guy. Um, and then, you know, if you have to take a, a decent cap hit in two years when when you're playing a bunch of young guys you just drafted and the cap is up over $200 million, I don't know that that bothers you quite as much. They just took a $19 million cap hit to move Stafford. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, I, I think you have to restructure that. I think that's the obvious starting point. I probably would go ahead and do the other ones if you can too, with Vitae and mm-hmm. and Flowers, and just free up what you can. And if you don't use it, then you carry it over, and it, you know you put it towards what you'd have to spend to cut them next year. Um, but there aren't any, there aren't that many other options to to restructure. That's the other problem exactly. as you go through this. You know, Trufant. Um, is a twelve million million dollar cap number this year, but he's on it last year of his deal. It doesn't. I mean, the the most sensible option there is to just release him. Justin Coleman, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie Collins only has two years left, and there's a bunch of money tied up in both years. There's not really a restructure option unless you're going to extend Jamie Collins. I can't see yeah, no. that yeah. happening. And then you'd go down the list, and again, you get into a bunch of guys who either are on rookie deals, so they're not in. They're not going to get restructured anyway, or like, you know, I, Nick Williams. I guess you could restructure, but yeah. do you want to be doing this? Do you want to restructure Chase no, Daniel? Like, no. I don't. Know yeah, I think those are guys. Like yeah, those are guys that you're just gonna you're just gonna have to move on from, and you know, you you can get some relief in some of those areas, but you know, I think that starting the clock back at a lot of these positions and just getting cheaper uh, with guys, younger guys who you're you have faith in is easily the move here. I mean, you know, I think Chris Spielman said this on the radio the other day, you're not building a team through 
free agency. It just doesn't work that way. You know, you just can't do it if you're if you're trying to reload or rebuild. So, no, I wouldn't do any of that. I think that all those guys are just good. I mean, you got to move on from them. I mean, some of these contracts are not great, and even the ones that aren't as bad, you're just not getting you know anything. And some of them are guys that are getting older now too. So you know, you just move on from them and try to. Do it the best you can, but you can't. But I, I think the point to remember here is like you can't nickel and dime it. Like that, there are going to have to be some, like you said. I mean, the, you're going to have to restructure golf. You're probably going to have to do it with at least Flowers and or Vitae. You're gonna, you can't just wait and and cut and dump. I mean, it's just not going to work that way. They don't have enough wiggle room, uh, especially if they want to keep. You know, if they don't want to keep Galladay or Okwara, you know, maybe that gets easier. But like right. at the same yeah. time, I mean, maybe that's a little jarring for people to hear, but. You know, that's, I guess, probably an option, too. I mean, you know, if you're just all about right now just accumulating draft capital, maybe that's maybe that's what they're looking at. I don't know. I mean, and that's another thing. Like, we don't know what the market looks like for, we've talked about that. What's what's Aquara's market going to be? What does Galladay want? You know, like, you know, d- does he want more than $18 million? If he wants more than $18 million, I don't know what you're, I, I don't know if you can do that, you know? So, like... <laughs> Those are questions that have to come up as well. I mean, we don't know for sure what, you know, the situation. If Bob Quinn offered him like $14 million or $15 million last year and he was like, get out of here, then I, okay. But like if, you off- if they offered him 18 and he said no, well, uh, you know, I don't know why that would change now. So, you know, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see how it goes. But a lot, a lot there to, uh, to sift through for Brad Holmes. And I, th- I think it's also probably worth pointing out that a lot of teams are in – this similar situations this year yeah. um, because of what the cap is. You know, you usually get a pretty sizable uh, raise in the salary cap space from year to year. And just because of what happened this past year with fans not being allowed in mm-hmm. um, with how things went with the, as the league dealt with COVID now the, the, the cap is lower than what it would normally be. And again, if they have a normal, if they pull off a normal 2021 season, you could be talking about a $200 million cap again, next year so i think you're gonna see a a lot of teams going through and trying to work these restructures with the you know base salary conversions and things like that but i also think like if you're talking about romeo aquara it's probably pretty unfortunate for him that he's hitting free agency right now because in a normal year you have teams lining up to get uh, a young edge coming off a double digit sack season but now I don't know. He's had one really good year and one pretty good year and one not so good year. Yep. <laughs> and like he didn't. Uh, he does he only fit in Matt Patricia's defense? Uh, I mean, I think that there's uh, enough questions about what he's going to be down the road that teams might be uh, scared away from paying him like a foundational mm-hmm. pass rusher. And so maybe the Lions can get him back, even on a and maybe you just say, look stay here with your brother for a year here's a pretty good offer yeah and you can hit free agency again next year or maybe we'll franchise tag you at that point if you have a really good year like i think that that's a possibility too but you're right it does change the math entirely if you just say all right let let oak war go forget about galladay let galladay go because that's a 16 and a half million dollar franchise tag on galladay right. yeah um and so if you're removing that and then you're releasing you know these guys that can get you thirty million dollars in cap space, and suddenly you have some money and you're under the cap, and, and maybe right. it does get a little more interesting. You obviously have to replace Galladay and Okora in that conversation too, and I think that that's I don't know how you. Um, a lot of this is just going to be figuring out how they view 
players uh, in terms of what looks like a multi-year rebuild? Like is Romeo Okora three years from now a guy that your defense is built around? Right, and is Galladay <laughs> three years from now? I mean, he's about to be twenty-eight, and I'm not saying suggesting that he's going to fall off a cliff here, but I mean, he's about to be twenty-eight. If you're going to be investing nor- uh, close to twenty a year in this guy, right? Uh, you know, when we we look around the league and we see rookie receivers and young receivers coming in and making things happen, you know, I mean, he's a special talent. He's different. He's unique because he's so big and he's got that. You know, he's he's athletic. He's got the good radius. Everything else, he can do a lot of stuff for you. So I get all that. But, like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how they look at him. I mean, he, he's not he, – he was an older rookie. He's not, you know – he's almost 30. <laughs> I mean, like, that's how, you, that's how you look at this. So can you go cheaper and, you know, get production on par with what Kenny Galladay's given you? Yes, I think you can. I mean, he has not had – I mean, let's not get it twisted here. This Kenny Galladay's had – you know, he had a really, really good year, obviously. In, uh, he led the league in touchdowns there in 2019. Half of it was without Stafford. And he had a productive year the year before. He had a good year, I guess we'll call that the year before, a good and a solid rookie year. But I don't think we can sit here and say that he's lit the world on fire. I mean, and last year was a complete wash, and, and he was hurt. So I don't know. I don't know if he's that's, – that's still the tricky question. And it was, it was a tricky question last year, too, you know, when we were going through all this about what do you pay Kenny Galladay? Uh, when you look at his peers and everything else, that what he's making, right. it was a tough one then. I guess maybe a little easier if you were going to go forward with Stafford. Then you know, obviously you you probably would have wanted to do it, but now that you're not, you know, I just maybe your maybe your situation a tag and trade is seems like the best case scenario for Kenny Galladay. Uh, I don't know what that would get you back. I mean, you know, I looked at the receiver tag and trades of recent. I think Jarvis Landry was the last one, and I think they got uh, Miami got a four and a seven for him. So I don't know what you get, and he had a better, you know, he had a better first four years than Galladay did in terms of production. So I don't know, and he was younger, so I don't know what you get back from him. But if it's two picks, uh, okay, well maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. I know you, it would hurt losing a guy that talented, but the situation is what it is, and you're not going to be good this year. You're not going to be good probably the year after that either. So. Um, by then he's thirty, and you're paying him twenty something a year, and is right. that what you want to be doing? I mean, that's that's a question that has to get asked. Yeah, I mean, I think if you can get certainly if you can get a two or a three out of it, it'd be tough to to not yeah. do that. And I think you're right. I mean, I think it is. And even Daryl Bevel talked about this at the start of the year, and then I asked him about it again at the end of the year. You know, because he said in June or whatever, you know, we want to see Galladay become. Uh, oh yeah, right. Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins level guy where the entire game plan on both sides of the ball revolves around him. And then at the end of the year, I asked if he had gotten to that point and Bevel said, you know, it's hard to say he has because we didn't see him play right. this year. Right. <laughs> so are you paying him where are you paying him like he is one of those guys? Because that's what Julio Jones is 32. He's making $22 million a year. Right. Uh, and I think that that's fine if you're yeah, paying Julio right. Jones that. <laughs> like you'll happily pay plays. Julio Jones exactly. that. Yeah. But is Kenny Galladay going to be Julio Jones when he's 32? Or is he going to be Marvin Jones when he's 32? Right. Which, very good receiver. You'd love to have Marvin Jones around. Right. You're not paying him $22 million a year. Um, and so I think that is a – I don't know that there's a great answer. I mean, I think either way – you're making your decision and just really holding your breath that you made the right one for the next two or three years while this plays out. So I think that that's, uh, that is a really difficult spot to be in. 
And unfortunately for Brad Holmes, he landed in a lot of these really difficult spots with guys because there just aren't a ton of answers on this roster right now. Um, No, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, especially, you know, and he's playing a position that's about to get gutted here. I mean, you know, they don't have anything coming back. I mean, Cephas is a second year player who we'll see about him, but I mean, yeah, you mentioned Marvin, you're not, you're not bringing Amendola back, obviously. I mean, like your receiver situation goes completely, it just starts completely over. And, you know, you'd be paying, again, I mean, you'd, you'd be paying a late 20s, I would say he's certainly above average, but like you said, I mean, he is not a guy that is changing game plans every time he steps on the field. I mean, is he a guy that you're monitoring? Yes. Is he a guy that we've seen at times? He can change, you know, the way a defense has to cover? Yes. But is he doing that every time he walks out there? No. No one can reasonably say that. No one, and including him. I mean, realistically, well, that's just might, not... He might say it. He might say it, but I mean, like, in an honest situation, objectively, it's just not a thing right now. It hasn't been. If, you, if you're you're doing this, you'd still be doing this based on projections, I think, with Kenny Gall. I would not, re- I would not sign him long-term. I would, uh, I would probably tag him... In complete hope, I think you'd be able to trade him. I think you'd find a partner for him. I don't think that would be hard. And if you don't think you can, I mean, I would, I would consider letting him go because I don't know if I would invest long term in him right now, given their situation. Not because I don't think he's going to be a good player, because I do think he's going to be a good player. Um, but like you said, Chris, I mean, I don't know if he's going to be Julio Jones good, and that's mm-hmm. the kind of money you're you're going to be investing. And I'm not sure, given their spot right now, that that makes a lot of sense. I just don't think it does. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, the hypothetical contract just sort of laying some of this stuff out in the salary cap post. I gave him uh, four years and seventy-two million, um, and then tacked on a, the fifth year, the voidable fifth year, gave him a thirty million dollars signing bonus, and so that came out with a cap hit of eight million this year, which is yeah, uh, pretty good. I think they would take that, but then of course you're paying him that prorated signing bonus through twenty twenty-four, which again he'll be. 31 at that point with a cap hit of 20 million dollars right. in 2024 so i don't know uh yeah i it's tough i don't know that you want to do that i but I, as i mentioned the other th- problem here is if you just say all right let's get rid of all these guys with big contracts that we don't like let's get rid of these back-end guys that you know no dead cap that they're not going to be on this roster you got to get to 53 guys somehow yep. <laughs> so i don't know <laughs> you know do you do you see value, I guess, because I mentioned the real Quora thing and just sort of how I think there might be a lot of guys this year who take those kind of prove-it deals just mm-hmm. to get to free agency next year. Do you see value in the Lions going out and grabbing like a dozen of those guys and plugging them in for a season and just seeing what they can do with $15 million in free agency? Or should this be all like just go – like three vets and the rest, whoever you can find that hasn't played more than four years in the league. I would do the latter. I mean, right now. I mean, that's what I, I mean, to be honest, I would, I would not invest heavily in, in a free agent situation this year. I mean, number one, like, 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 yeah, right. Let's say that they hypothetically get in a spot where they can. Uh, I just, I don't, it just doesn't make sense to do. I just, I know that you want to maintain, maintain, you know, your ability to compete. You don't want to be so bad that, it's so embarrassing that nobody can look at it, right? I mean, it can't be a complete nightmare. <laughs> right. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you've got to invest in your younger guys and they've got to play. Like, that's that's really another part of that piece, too. Like, if you're, you know, trying to set yourself up for a situation where you're looking at, you know, getting six really nice draft picks, 
they all have to play. They all have to have space to play. You can't be investing, I don't think, money in someone who has to come in here and play. I mean, I just... Youth has to carry the day here, and you're, you're, you have to be setting yourself up to have the ability to take your swings down the road when you're in position to do so. And I think that that's how you build a team. I mean, I just no other way to look at it right now. I, I, I guess you could because, you like you said, Chris, I mean, maybe there's a couple situations that are really unique out there that, hey, if you can get that guy... Uh, a guy who's on a prove-it situation for a year and you think he's a really good player, and who knows, right? I mean, you know, maybe a couple, right? Maybe you could do that. But um, by and large, I would think that your your focus is going to be on the draft. Uh, your focus is going to be on shedding cap. And if you have to let somebody like Galladay and Okora go, then you're 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 going to want comp picks coming back too, uh, I would think, on that end. So um, the whole thing right now, I think, has to be focused on what you can do through the draft and how you can build this team I mean, they've talked so much about wanting to build their culture, uh, wanting to build, you know, a, a foundation with that, getting guys that fit into that. That happens through the draft. That happens not through free agency necessarily. That you can make additions as you go forward, but your core, you want your core to be, you know, the young draft picks, and then you want to come in and if you want to take veterans and put them around those guys, fine. But it all has to make sense with the youth being the priority. Uh, and them being sort of, you know, everything's revolving around those younger players right now. It just has to. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I we'll be curious to see the um, free agency approach, though. I mean, I do think that there might be some windows for them to chase some higher price guys who could, you could maybe make a case, are foundational pieces uh, mm-hmm. that have taught, you know, I mentioned in a previous post, John Johnson, the safety from the Rams is 25. Like, that's yeah. a guy that... Sure. Uh Brad Holmes knows they love um, him, yeah, yeah, uh, and same same position. But Marcus Williams at safety is a twenty five year old played in New Orleans, so Stan Campbell would know him. Like he kind of looked for these spots to see if there might be a couple guys out there that you could get for reasonable deals that can be part of this moving forward. But you're right, and they've said as much as as you said, Spielman has said, and other guys have kind of echoed that. You can't just go sign everyone and expect right. this everything to fall into pay, place. You've really got to get as many draft picks as you can, hit on them, and and just kind of build it from the ground up. And uh, it's, I'm sure it's frustrating for Lions fans to hear that to some extent. I mean, I, I think they knew that this was going to be the situation, but you also don't want to be sitting there thinking, well, it's going to be three or four years before we have a chance either. Um, right. And so, uh, I don't know. I think that that's sort of the trying to thread that needle between you don't want to go 1-15 in 15 this year, uh, and I don't think they will, but how do you get to getting, you know, convincing yourself that even at week one if things fall into place, you know, maybe maybe you can surprise some people. I, I don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> that, I don't know how you get to that point from where they're at now because it's a, it's a kind of a rocky road to get there. Yeah, it can't be total malaise. You know, like <laughs> that's the thing you're asking people to go through. It's going to get pretty tough, and and you want to you want to have some things to feel good about too. And I think that that's certainly important. You don't want to just sit there and throw the towel in and say we're just getting rid of everything. We're just going to make a hundred draft picks over the next couple of years, which you know. Maybe you do do that. I don't know. I mean, Cleveland did it, and look at what look at yeah. look at Cleveland. Right. You know, nobody's complaining now. So I mean, like that's <laughs> that's sometimes Miami. You know, I mean, Miami's situation now is suddenly looking a lot brighter, and they did the same thing. So you know, that's to me. If you're totally restarting, and they've been a little weird about admitting that they're totally restarting, but it's like they're admitting it without admitting it. Uh, then I, I don't know how else you look at it. 
Yeah, and again, I think some of that is just not wanting to say it. Sure. And, yeah. uh, uh, probably for whatever. the fan base yeah. and for the pe- players on this roster and for the players you're trying to convince to come here. Like, I don't think you want to say, well, wait, mm-hmm. look, this is – we're going to be the worst team in the league next year. Yeah, right. But, <laughs> you know, like, I don't think you want to come out and say that, so I understand it. But, yeah, it is going to be a haul, and, and we'll see. I mean, as we talked about at the start, there are lots of options in this draft. They should be able to fix some spots on this roster, and then we'll see what happens yeah. with the salary cap. So – uh we will stay on top of it all we've got uh the franchise tag windows open now the pro days are starting in a few days uh the new league year is less than a month away so we got a lot coming up make sure you get over and subscribe rate review us uh, uh google podcast apple um, spotify a bunch of other spots wherever you listen to podcasts let us know if we're not showing up we'll try to get on there uh go over to theathletic.com you can check out nick's stuff and my stuff there um we have a subscription deal running like we usually do but i would pay attention uh, as we get closer to the draft here because i'm sure there will be mm-hmm. more sure. <laughs> if you're still waiting to sign up thanks to everyone who has subscribed already and uh, i guess that'll wrap us up for this week so for nick i'm chris thanks for listening we'll talk to you soon